Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. Now the hip-hop history continues. Welcome back. Nuan is now ESPN Radio. Hour number two coming in hot. we got our ESPN Roundtable, Big Sky Conference football style. And we got an excerpt from the Big Sky Breakdown, Big Sky Conference football style. All things Big Sky football here in hour number two. Last show of the week for us. Happy to be here uh, with you. We'll be back at it on Monday. I'm Nuwa- uh, I am Coulter Nuwana. I am Nuwana. I hope that's, so. That's in fact right. <laughs> Coulter Nuwana, Rajim Seabrook, hey. rolling with us here on this Wednesday. That's a Friday for us. Appreciate you for hanging out. Missing anything in the first hour of the show, you can always find it on the Nuwana's Now podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications. BM Store, where they're all grizz all the time, and the MSU Bookstore. Visit msubookstore.org. Cypress Hill, yes, unbelievable. So we wanted to do we wanted to do a little uh, Hispanic Latino type uh, rap influences. We've been taking you all around the world the history of hip hop. It's actually, a, 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 in fact, a very short history when you talk about things that have historical significance. But a 50th anniversary is certainly a significant one, and it's been very fun to sort of highlight different pockets of the country and different influences that have gone into the hip hop game. But how about Cypress Hill? I mean, they, they were. They were enormous for a brief moment in time, and they, and they were sort of one of the first real uh, Hispanic rap groups that really made it big. Yeah, uh, first of all, I can't believe how old that song is. That's from 1991, folks. Sure. I was a junior in high school, which means I'm now <laughs> born in the year of 1970. That makes me feel really old to think that that record is that old. Uh, but I actually want to go further back. Uh, I had a friend who's listening to the show hear what you said about, you know, Latin hip hop, and he goes, yeah. why, why is that important? Like, how is, oh, not why is that important? How is that important? Well, for those who know the history of hip hop and rap and the birth of it, it came out of the slums of the inner city of, of, of the South Bronx of New York. And it was narratives of what was going on for sure. Uh, in, in, in the late 70s, like New York was just hollowed out. And if not for a lot of the Hispanic influence, hip hop actually does not take flight or gain plight um, because a lot of those narratives were shared narratives. Sure. And a lot of the early crews were 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 black and hip were black and, and Hispanic guys that that culminated this this work together. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that the birthplace, if not for Hispanics, we don't have modern day graffiti. Interesting. Some of the earliest, most influential graffiti artists were Hispanic. They were Puerto Rican or Puerto Rican or Dominican or Panamanian, and they were the they were the dudes that were teaching the the black guys in the inner city how to how to throw up tags and use that art form as a platform to kind of be on the guardrail of the path of hip hop. So, like the Hispanic influence goes back to the you know mid to late seventies. Fast forwarding it to Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill blew it off the blew it off the cover. For sure, like they were saying a lot of the same things groups like Public Enemy were saying. Right, but their faces were different, and America and, took a and, totally and where different and turn. Where they're from is different too, and where they're they from were from, LA. totally. And all of a sudden, we had this new narrative in hip hop that was unprecedented, uh, culturally, socially, racially, demographically, and Cypress Hills was unapologetically themselves. So, you know, to be real, Muggs and, and, and the nasal one himself, uh, what an amazing footnote in history, a very, very important one. And then in their own way, kind of 
laid some of the foundations for groups like Limp Biscuit, sure, and Corn, and and, no and those and, those, and the, the the type of music that rose to massive prominence in the late '90s. Totally, where you had the hip hop, rock, hip hop, yeah. grunge, yeah. like a, a lot of this fusion that hard that rock, gave way. grunge, rap fusion, yeah. kid rock, you know, yep. things like that that just totally gave a new branch onto the uh, a, a hip hop family tree. So, um, Tommy, thanks for you know dusting off the the the, the old records, the old LPs of Cypress Hills, and you know Coulter, thanks for letting us have another footnote in the hip hop history. Oh, 100 I mean and and it, as you said the epicenter of of hip hop was so much based on the east coast especially early on but when it really started to catch fire and become way more mainstream was when the, you sort of had hip hop coming out of both coasts and I think Cypress Hill is very underrated in their ability to sort of broaden the audience on the west totally. coast because you had these these you know hardcore west coast gangster rappers like NWA and, and Dr. Dre's whole crew or whatever, but you bring a whole new community into it mm-hmm. with Cypress Hill's influence. And mm-hmm. then w- with the movie Friday and uh, the soundtrack, Cypress Hill was on that. So now all of a oh, sudden yeah. they're basically co-collaborating with Ice Cube and Dr. Dre mm-hmm. and guys like that. Now, you're broadening your audience on both sides and boom, now all of a sudden you have this this firestorm that spreads, which is was an awesome moment in time. Absolutely. And then they, you know, like I said, they created their own branch and then they gave yeah. way to groups like House of Pain. A lot of people don't understand the, sure. the overlap there. And then, you know, to to DJ Muggs, who rose to his own uh, notoriety. There was another group that came out called Funk Dubious at the time that, if yep. not for Cypress Hills, a lot of this stuff doesn't happen. So, um, you know, I just, I didn't want to not shed light on one of the really, really important groups of hip-hop, but also just the important cross-cultural, cross-racial uh, uh, need for it, too. Because if it wasn't for the Hispanic population, hip-hop does not gain the notoriety flight and plight that it did early up to present day. Well, it's now time now for our ESPN Roundtable. It's presented by Paradise Falls. Paradise Falls, go-to spot there on the south side of town. They have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Plus, they have 18 draft beers, more than 20 big screen TVs. Awesome place to gather with family and friends alike. Swing by. 3621 Brook Street, Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot. Some general talking points about Big Sky Conference football. First of all, I think it, one one of the most interesting storylines about this year is that coming into last year, you had a collection of running backs that had all been previously All-Americans in their career. Josh Davis at Weber State, who was a two-time All-American. Alonzo Gilliam at uh, UC Davis, who was a four-time All-Conference guy and a two-time All-American. Isaiah Fonse at Montana State, who was a two-time All-American. Elijah Dotson, who was All-American at Sac State, but then transferred in the conference to Northern Colorado and Marcus Knight, who was a third-team All-American back in 2019 for the Grizzlies. Cameron Scadaboo came out of nowhere and was the Offensive Player of the Year in the league out of Sac State. But that's six, count them, six nationally elite running backs. All those guys, besides Alonzo Gilliam, though, was completely and utterly banged up by the end of their careers. None of them had storybook endings to their careers in terms of their performances. Josh Davis had a couple flashes and was able to play down the stretch, but certainly did not have a full season Gilliam was really good, and I think he's the guy that sort of was the, uh, well, not sort of, he was certainly the most durable of this collection of guys. Afonso, when he was at his best, was the best in the conference and the best in the country, in my opinion. He just was hurt for the duration of his career at Montana State. Still ended as the all-time leading rusher in Bobcat history. Dotson was lightning in a bottle. People in Missoula saw that when he rushed for 275 yards on homecoming here in 2019, or 2018, excuse me. And Knight, I mean, what could have been for Marcus Knight? I mean, he was he was the breakout player for the Grizz in 2019, and then 
uh, a pandemic and a bad knee injury and uh, falling from favor uh, with internally in the program, all sorts of different things. And now then he played Grizzly Cross, and now he's out on his way to Tennessee Tech. So uh, I guess this is just sort of microcosmic, though, because now when you look at the league, there's hardly any of these sort of brand-name type stars you look at Montana or Montana State, they're both going to do it by committee. I think Weaver's going to do it by committee. It's an extension of a trend that's already existing in the NFL. We're sort of seeing like the, the death of a feature back, even though the run game has become so much more prominent in recent years in college football. Yeah, what we're seeing is, and anyone that knows sports, whether you've played it or not, it's the biggest copycat mirror image of, of, sure, of itself. Right. Football in particular. The running back by committee has afforded uh, NFL teams to pay less for a position. For college teams, it's afforded more partial scholarships because you can you can have six or seven or eight running backs on a team. Half of those dudes will be on special teams. They're fast. They can yep. get down. They're yep. good tacklers. Um, but the value of the position is dying. Um, the, the switch for me, Coulter, when I saw this, early 2000s. After the Ladanian Tomlinsons, the Marshall Falks had kind of come and gone. Jamal we, Lewis, Priest Holmes, and Larry Johnson are three guys that all had, and Ricky Williams was the fourth, that all had ridiculous carry numbers for a brief span and then completely fell off and the then gone. all of them. Yeah. And then gone. And the, the use it up while you can philosophy and mindset on this position in football, collegiately or on uh, professionally, is what is eroding and, and somewhat demeaning the people who play these positions, especially for what they give up physically later in life. When it comes to then the Grizz offense, I do think that the Grizz and the Cats both have a whole bunch of pretty good running backs. I think that's the way you need to operate Oh, I, I don't think it's as necessarily... If you have a feature like Isaiah Fonse, you should give him the ball as much as possible. Feed the bear. But at Montana, you got Xavier Harris, who's shown great flashes mm-hmm. and, and and had some injury battles. You got Nick Osmo, who showed great flashes mm-hmm. and had some injury battles. You got Isaiah Childs, who's sort of been waiting his turn. Then you got the guy who everybody in the program's talking about, Eli Gilman, the former Minnesota Player of the Year, who's definitely been waiting his turn but could be one of the breakout stars for the Grizz. I think the running backs is is not a worry for Montana. I think they have great stability at the position. I think they have a great coach at the position in Justin Green. So um, Love that guy. Where are we at, though, with the rest of the Grizz offense? What sort of incremental differences or, or massive differences do you want to see in the Grizz offense this year compared to last year? Uh, I wrote it down, and I think that this, for me, is what is the catalyst for the Grizz to be great again, or at least more uh, competitive. Um we need consistency up front. I need, you know, I, I miss the days of having the hog mollies up front just mowing people down or protecting the quarterback to, you know, four or five seconds in the pocket. I need to see more consistent play from the boys up front. I'm not saying they're not capable. I'm not saying they're not willing. But there's just an ed- there's there's a lack of an edge. There's a lack of nastiness. There's I think a lack it's more, of tenacity. More than, more than that, it's a, it's a lack of continuity, and I, I just have totally. such a hard time which is why I said consistency. That's, I, I have such a hard time analyzing if it's because of the scheme, though. If it's a scheme, is, is it a scheme issue or a culture issue? You can't have a more veteran offensive line than Montana. Montana has actually hit on more Power Five drop down linemen than anybody in the country at the FCS level. Their left tackle, Chris Walker, I mean, he's in his late twenties at this point. He's in his seventh year of college football. 
and and back as a, a starter for the second year in a row for the Grizz. Hunter McGinnis is back for his third mm-hmm. year as a starter for former Washington State transfer. He's been an all-conference player for the Grizz two years in a row. A.J. Forbes is back for his fourth year as a starter after transferring from Nebraska. You got Brandon Casey, who you beat Oregon State straight up for to get here, and now he's back for his third year as a starter. And then that, that guard spot is either going to be Liam Brown or Journey Grimsrud, sure. a couple yep. up-and-coming up guys. If you're getting guys that are top-level recruits in the region, you're also getting guys with Power 5 credentials, and you got guys that are, are veterans that have played a lot of football. But. Then what's missing? Why aren't you the best offensive line in the country? Is it the mentality? Is it the expectation? Is it the ghost of, of what came before you? Is it the culture? I don't know. It's interesting to me because a lot of times when you look at and I actually think Montana's offensive line has a chance to be to be good this year, mm-hmm. but the Grizz need their offensive line to be great, to catch who you got to catch. And the Grizz, even though they had a very disappointing year last year, the Grizz, to be frank, as a program, are only chasing three programs. They're chasing North Coast State, South Coast State, Montana, Montana State. That's it. Totally. The only way to get over the top against those teams is to be better on the lines. There's a reason the Cats are the consen- going to be the consensus pick to win the Big Sky Conference. They got the best offensive line in the league. They got the, deepest, they got the deepest defensive front totally. in the league. It's, it's simple, man. Agreed. So I guess that's – I don't know what the answer is. My brother and I have talked about this on the Big Sky Breakdown podcast a lot. I don't know what it is that's eluding them, but I totally agree. The Grizz, to have consistency on offense, they need to have, yes. they need to have consistency on offensive line, and they need to have consistency at quarterback. I, I don't agree, and I stand by the words that I say. The, the boys up front have just got to hunker down, hunker in the bunker, as my dad used to say. You got to hunker down and bunker down. So uh, they they're coming into they're coming into summer camp healthy or summer backslash fall camp healthy um, with another new quarterback, and that's something that that hurts your offensive line too. Is not having a consistent signal caller over the course of times. Like it, there's there's a different feel to every quarterback for sure. And sometimes like if that feel doesn't fit the scheme or the scheme doesn't fit the feel, you're for sure. you're kind of just playing a play at that well, point. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this materializes and then later down the road comes into fruition. Well, it's such a good point too because as a, as a former offensive lineman. Running quarterbacks are a big advantage for the offense, but sometimes when quarterbacks are, are running in a freelance manner, it's actually really bad for the offensive line because you might you know get your pass pro perfect, and all of a sudden this guy completely and now you reach blocking and you're holding oh, right, and he's yeah. bra- the kid you totally. know, like Dalton City used to break the pocket all the time. Sometimes he's electric in the open field. Sometimes he's getting absolutely creamed. As nothing, if you're the left tackle, he runs all the all the way to the wide side of the field on the right. You can't do anything about it. No, not at all. Now you're just standing there doing nothing. So, you know, I mean, you look at the Cats. They run the quarterback so often, but they also have massive zone read principles in their offense. Totally, They're, It's an outside zone offense, so the the, the pocket is already Moving. shifting while Moving. you're going. I mean, that's what they do. Their, their offensive line basically outside zone blocks even when they run pass plays because with Tommy Watt, a quarterback, you want the ball out like that anyways. Oh, I like that kid. For sure. And oh, boy. So you're just, you're just the, the offensive line scheme is so simple. Yes. It's right or left. That's it. Because you're doing the same thing because the ball is going to be out. It's either in the ball carrier's hands, it's in the tight end's hands, or whatever. Tommy's running scared. That's right. Uh, so it, it, I, I, just, I do think consistency is going to be big. On the defensive side of the ball, another question about the Grizz. It's our ESPN roundtable presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula. Is the 3-3-5 defense that has been the Grizz uh, base defense since Bobby Houck's return five years ago, is it sustainable? I'm not sure because of who he's lost over the last three years that has made that defense so nasty and salty. I think that is such a, a, a talent 
certain skill set based defense that if you don't have the dudes that can that can cover the ground like Robbie did or fill the holes like Patrick did, um, then you're asking you're asking guys to do something at a less than uh, less than desirable uh, efficacy rate. And even when you had those guys, though, it was still again, tough. again when you play like the Grizz have massacred the teams that they're supposed to beat since Bobby Absolutely. House returned. They, they ramshackle you. They completely run you out of the stadium. When you are a team that comes into Washington Grizz as a three-touchdown underdog, you're losing by five touchdowns. Yep. That, that's that been pretty consistent. But when they play elite opponents, though, they've struggled often, particularly against the Cats. They've lost five out of six against the Cats. You know, you talk about multiple matchups with North Dakota State. I mean, Again, they're only the, the barometer for success for Montana's final four or bust. That's it. They've got to be semifinalists at the national level at the very least, if not competing for big side championships, competing for national championships. They've been a step or two below that. But still, the only programs you're really chasing are these three programs. And that's why I just I wonder about this because even when the Grizzlies had nasty talent defensively, they're still getting brushed on for 400 plus yards in Bozeman like they did last year. Well, when you have that kind of running game and you're in your in your it's five against three. That's it's, right. It's a numbers game, and you get that guard or the tackle or that center up into space, yep. and you're and you're veering out left or right as you as you alluded to, Coulter. It makes it really difficult. But that's also why guys like Robbie Houck have had so many tackles is that's because right. he's got to come up to make up for that. So I mean, the scheme that it's controlled chaos in the front, organized confusion. But they have five or six guys that are sacrificial players on. Each given play, uh, play absolutely, they're taking the blockers with them. So then, that's why you have usually three or four primary guys getting all the tackles. All the, the tackles. So again, it remains to be seen if they are if if you know to your question if the three three five is sustainable. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of it because you constantly put your defense in a bend but don't break situation. But uh, when you when I feel like you don't have to, but you know. Bobby gets paid Bobby money, and I'm I'm just I'm just a guy who likes to talk a lot on the microphone. Nuana's now uh, ESPN Roundtable, probably presented by Paradise Falls. Go check out Paradise Falls all season long if you want to watch the Grizz, the Bobcats, anybody in between. They'll have Big Sky Conference stuff rolling down there uh, every Saturday throughout the football season. Also, a great place to watch college football at large. My last comment about the three three five would be this. Uh, I understand totally the reasons that they implemented it when they first came back. First of all, Bobby Houck had been coaching in this defense at San Diego State for several years. It's it's Rocky Long's defense, the three three five stack. Mm-hmm. Rocky Long's a great defensive coach. San Diego State had had a lot of success with it. I, I get why you know you sort of carry what you know when you come back to Montana. I also think that it helped the Grizz hide some of their talent deficiencies when they first came back. But I don't think they have those talent deficiencies anymore defensively. I think they've done a great job. Recruiting, but more developing on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. The other two things are, though, that one, the three-three-five, in premise, is easier to recruit to because you can find a lot more Division One-type safeties and linebackers than you can big hog mollies up front. One less defensive lineman is one less big body you have to recruit. Recruit, recruit, yeah. But I also think that's an excuse now for Montana. You got to get rid of that mindset because you can get elite interior guys. So don't let, uh, you know, the, the the personnel deficiency shouldn't influence the scheme that you're going to run. I think the last thing, though, is that the three three five or any sort of uh, like stack defense like this came in vogue because of the prevalence of spread offenses. Mm-hmm. The Pac-12 is a throw-it-all-around-the-yard the conference still. The Mountain West is probably more spread than it is uh, power run. But now you've seen sort of this regression to the other side in the big sky. 
Montana State, power, power run, run game. Weber State, power, power run, run game. UC Davis, multiple tight ends. It's a pro-style, West Coast-style offense. Portland State runs the pistol, for gosh sakes. I mean, they, they go... Love, that's one of my favorites. They go too tight all the time. Ace, ace, ace. Sack uh, runs a very unorthodox offense, but it has two quarterbacks and two running backs in it a lot, and that's given the 3-3-5 fits. So basically, the only teams that the 3-3-5 is a very conducive, advantageous defense against... Eastern Washington, who's lost a lot of momentum oh, yeah. as a program. Oh, yeah. Idaho State Idaho and Cal Poly are the yep. two worst teams in the league. I guess I just wonder. I, I think that they had this thought, oh, we're going to run this this sort of hyperactive, speedy defense because the big skies, this spread league, it's not that much of a spread league anymore. The FCS is not that much of a spread. But again, the teams you got to beat are running the ball with authority. I don't know how well the three three five matches up with that. Yeah, what I don't like about that, too, is it, you can see uh, towards the ends of some of the games, even in some of the wins that the Grizz had last year, the defense was just exhausted. Uh, because I, that's a very demanding type of defense, and it, it takes a lot out of your players because of how athletic they are. They're covering a lot of ground. They're making up a lot of ground. Um, I, it's interesting. But, hey, a new year, new players, new tweaks, new tinkering, new results. And no matter what, and I always say this on the show, no matter what you run, if you, I do think that there's a little bit too much made on on scheme and what you run because I think a lot of times coaches use that as a way to give themselves job security. Like our stuff is so sweet. At the end, at the end of the day in football, I think, and you're a coach, I'm not dogging yeah. on you, but I'm I'm just saying at the end of the day, football is about winning one on one matchups. Absolutely. If you execute at the most flawless level that you can execute, you should, in theory, actually be able to tell the other team what you're going to do and still be able to run the play. I mean, everybody in the country knows that North Dakota State runs A-gap power. Guess who can't stop A-gap power? Nobody in, that plays no North one. Dakota State. Nobody. They run it 30 times a game, and nobody can stop it. You know when they're lined up, it's second and nine, and there's two tight ends and a fullback on the field. They're running A-gap power right at you, and you still can't stop it. So, uh I don't know. I, I guess the point is that whatever the Grizz run offensively, whatever they run defensively, whatever anybody runs offensively and defensively, if you execute it at a really, really high level, all the schemes exist for a reason. They all work. If you execute them perfectly, it's all about execution and talent more than it is about actually the the, the scheme that you run, right? I, You know, I, I would say I, I, my only argument to that would be going back almost 40 years to this beautiful, beautiful thing called the West Coast offense that Bill Walsh came up with. For sure. In which I think about how that, you know, came out at the same time the run and shoot did, yep. give or take a, a couple of years. Yep. And when I look at that scheme, that scheme till t- is still being utilized till today. That was the grandfather or the father to what we're looking at right now. Yeah. For sure. So to me, it's not just it's not just it, it is scheme. It is saying No, for sure. Uh, yeah, with well, and, and and in college football, college football specifically, there is a definitive advantage that is such a huge advantage. In the NFL, you can't run your quarterback all the time because the dude is just not going to make it through the year. You can't do it. No, you can't. You also don't have five in, quarterbacks in the, on your in, roster. That's also part of it. Yeah. In college football, you can run the quarterback all the time, and it's it's such a huge advantage. The plus one run game in college is such a huge advantage, especially because you have. Sometimes you have running quarterbacks that are just such men against boys. I mean, they, they are men amongst boys, and they can just 
take advantage of the numbers advantage and take advantage of their physical advantages as well. Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, uh, and the ESPN MT app. Of course, we uh, blew through most of this, but maybe we'll come back to this next time Rajim's in studio. But I wanted to ask you, uh, just from your basic preseason knowledge here, I gave you the candidates that were nominated by all the schools for both offensive and defensive MVPs. Who would you have voted for? Oh, buddy, Tommy Malott. Tommy Malott, Montessa, interesting. Dude, I just I, there's something about him. I, I, I mean, he's a winner. He's a winner. Straight up winner. He's a winner. He uh, he kind of reminds me of a local hero, uh, young hero player here. He has that Zach Cruz mentality. Interesting. Like, just has this beautiful swagger about him that is not conceit. It's just a, a, a prime confidence. And I, just, I love watching him play. More than that, I love watching how people want to play around him and right. with him, which says a lot. And then my other, uh, on the defensive side, we were talking about this before the show even started. I love this Rex Connors kid. DB safety. My boy from Pleasant Grove, Utah. I like this kid, UC Davis. UC, da- I, this kid comes up and he thumps. Yep. He's 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 a, he's a smart leader. He's a smart football player. Um, and he's one of the best freshmen in the country last year at the oh, NCS yeah, Just complete, man. Just complete. And if someone like if I didn't know he was a freshman last year, I wouldn't have known that myself. 100%. Like just you know on paper, but fun to watch. Up and coming, rising young man. And he's going to have a ton of. He's going to have huge numbers if he stays healthy because of the defense that they run too. Oh yeah, and if this kid, he's their main run fit guy in that. School. Totally. Totally, and it, it, any any other team in the Big Sky Conference, this kid's a star. Absolutely, and I, I do think he has a chance to be a star there at UC Davis as well. Uh, I voted for Hayden Hatton because I think Hayden Hatton's the best really? player in the league. I mean, I think Hayden Hatton was the most unstoppable player I've seen in the Big Sky Conference since Cooper Cup last year. Okay, and he's uh, I mean, yeah, I think he scored 16 touchdowns. I think he had four three touchdown games in conference play. It's pretty I mean, nice. He mossed all over the Grizz. He mossed all over everybody. In the second half of the conference season, it was pretty impressive to watch. My defensive uh, MVP, and I do think that there's a variety of really good candidates, uh, but I chose Winston Reed of Weber State. He was a first-team All-League guy last year. There was all sorts of scuttle on Twitter that he and a bunch of the the Weber State Wildcat family, both former players and current players, they were all up in arms that this guy didn't win it. I think that's a good thing for him because I think he'll be very motivated to come in his senior year and prove that last year was no fluke, and maybe that he did deserve uh, Big Sky Defensive MVP a year ago and uh, goes goes out and wins it here uh, as a senior for Weber State. So it uh, should be interesting to see how it all plays out. Maybe if we have time later on, we'll come back to some more of these Big Sky talking points. But we're going to keep talking Big Sky football with an excerpt from the Big Sky Breakdown about our preseason polls. Andrew Houghton and I recorded earlier today. We'll play that for you next. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Jewelry Design Center is not your average jewelry store. The friendly, welcoming staff is so excited to be in Montana, and the craftsmanship, unique creativity, care, and artisanship you'll receive at the Jewelry Design Center is second to none. Is there anything you guys can't do? We don't cut diamonds, <laughs> okay, yeah, but we can facilitate that. Right. It's unique that we cast our own metal, we grow our own models, we hand carve, as well as use computer-aided technology to design. We're pushing the limits of what we had previously thought was impossible. Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life. One, two, three. One is now on ESPN Radio. I love learning, and I love learning all these hip-hop history lessons. Nuwana is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. We're doing uh, Latin-influenced hip-hop history lessons today. 
Oh, beet nuts. I've never heard of the it's beet the nuts. nuts. It's the nuts. Yeah, it's absolutely beet nuts. Uh, big, big. Uh, back in the day, hip hop was more regionalized. You had Philly hip hop. You had New York hip hop. You had, um, you know, West Coast hip hop, all things of that nature. And uh, back when it was more regionalized, you had more. I don't even want to say more involvement from the different communities because things were just there. And the Beat Nuts Hispanic group, amazing uh, production, great rhymes, just never got the notoriety of some of their uh, some of their contemporaries that were out at the time. Uh, great rhymes, but they weren't overshadowing Tribe Called Quest, right? Great, great rhymes, but they weren't overshadowing Nas and, and a young Jay-Z and a young Biggie. So they just kind of came out at a time that I liken to the NBA. They came out in between Jordan and LeBron. So actually more like Jordan and Kobe, if you will. And sometimes guys like that just got kind of lost in the shuffle. But a great listen, really important, uh, smaller, more minute footnote in the history of the annals of hip-hop. We'll have one more before the show is over. Fun times. We have so many great supporters here. Uh, at Nuanas now on ESPN Radio. Speak to it. Including Town Pump. They are going to help us get everywhere we need to go this upcoming football season. Town Pump by the Mile is back. The Brawl of the Wild by the Mile is what we're calling it this year. All things uh, Grizz and Cat Talk here uh, on Nuanas now. We'll give you a first look at the opponents for both Montana and Montana State uh, early on in the week during football season. And uh, then we'll give you an opportunity to win Town Pump gift cards each Wednesday throughout football season as well. So very much uh, excited about that. Town Pump also uh, great partners of ours at Skyline Sports as well. And one of the presenting sponsors of the Big Sky Breakdown podcast. The Big Sky preseason polls come out on Monday at Media Days. Andrew Houghton will be there. He and I sat down to break down the league race. Here's a couple of minutes on that. Please subscribe to the Big Sky Breakdown podcast. Uh, available on all your podcast hosting networks. Works. Uh, here is an excerpt of that show. I think there's two more tiers left. I think there's the tier with all the playoff teams. Then I think there's one team that's atop the league in its own tier. I think it's Montana State. I, I do. I do think the Cats, uh, despite a um, a dysfunctional, maybe is a, a kind way to say it, uh, a, a disastrous off season in terms of the the PR and the headlines with both coordinators getting DUIs. Um, I, I still do think that. Having the the most talented and deepest fronts on both sides of the ball, plus multiple of the best playmaking quarterbacks in the league, plus an unbelievable number of offensive playmakers, and plus I think that the the best coach in the league, I think that Montana State is just has a slight edge in basically every category you can evaluate them by over the rest of the, the teams. And I do think that Weber, Sack, Montana, and Idaho are all playoff teams. Uh, but I think the Cats are the the definitive uh, front runner. I agree with you that the Cats are absolutely in the top tier. The polls would say that Idaho has joined them there. You do not have them there at all. And that's sort of my last dilemma in splitting up these last five teams that I think we agree are, are, are all going to be playoff teams or at least in playoff contention. Is Idaho up there with the Cats in the top tier? Uh, well, and, and here's the deal, actually. I do think that both Idaho and Montana State have tough schedules. The Cats have a really tough schedule. Um, the Cats conference schedule is at Weber State, Portland State in Bozeman, Cal Poly in Bozeman, at Sac State. Cats haven't been to Sac State in so long. 
at Idaho, that's a enormous game. That's like a game that could be, you know, not only playoff implications, playoff seating implications. Then NAU's coming to Bozeman, Eastern Washington's coming to Bozeman, and then the Cats go to Montana. So, um, I mean, you're talking about playing at the four best teams in the league. Yeah, plus the best team in the country, yeah. <laughs> and then you also play at South Coast. So, yeah, I mean, the Cats' five road games are against, uh, I guess right now in the polls, uh, five of the top 16, where the Grizz ranks, 15th or 16th? Yeah. Whatever, there's five of the top 15 teams in the country, including the number one team, the defending national champions in South Dakota State, and a team that went undefeated until the quarterfinals of the playoffs in Sac State. And Montana in Missoula. And Montana <laughs> in Missoula, exactly. And, and that, you know, and, and the Cats have had a, a bear of a time winning down in Ogden, too. That hasn't been true the last two trips. That's something that Brent Vegan has really changed about their program is just being able to win those tough games on the road. But uh, the Cats definitely have a really tough schedule. Uh, and Let's just go through the schedules of these contenders because I think that that's always a huge factor. Idaho's schedule, they're at Lamar in Beaumont, Texas. They're going to win that one. They're at Nevada. That's a sneaky uh, potential upset there. So is Cal. Uh, at Cal is very interesting as well. You know, I think that Idaho's Probably going to go one and two, but they could definitely be two and one if they were three and zero. Oh, now the hype is the hype train is just rolling there for Jason Eck and the boys. Yeah, you'd have a big discussion over whether they should be number one in the country if they for, got back to back FBS wins. For sure, I don't think they do. I, I they won't. They'll be in those games though. They'll be in those games. Yeah, no, you have to assume that they go one and two in the first three. You got to assume that they lose both of those. Uh, then their conference schedule, Sac State in Moscow. That's that's the game of the week for the opening weekend of conference play, certainly. I know it's at Eastern Washington. They're at Cal Poly. Be favored in both of those. Then they got Montana and Montana State coming to Moscow back-to-back weeks. We're going to be venturing over to Moscow a couple times in a row as well. Just depends on, uh, just depends on who's going where, but uh, we'll certainly have boots on the ground in uh, Moscow for two weeks in a row. Then uh, Idaho's at Northern Colorado, they're at Weber State, and they're home against Idaho State. So uh, I scored this out as a 5-3 and three conference record for the Vandals, but I do think that that's the the, the floor of this because yeah. they could certainly beat Sac State at home. And all of a sudden, now you're, you're a six-win Big Sky team. You're absolutely in the playoffs with eight overall wins. They got three of the four tough games the, at home the, in the conference. You, you split with the Montana schools, great. You sweep the Montana schools. Now, you, I mean, you're, you're true... Uh, uh, Big Sky Conference front runner at that point, and then they got Weber State. So you know, I mean, I I've been trying to pump the brakes on riding the hype train for the Vandals because I just do think that them being able to handle the hype is going to be one of the primary storylines of their season. That said, the fact is that at the worst, you got coin flip games with their three toughest games, and it, it, you know, if you win all those games, I mean, you could run the table in the league. Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to for me: Do you believe that Idaho is capable of doing that? Do you believe that actually Idaho? Is a top five team in the country no. going into the year? You're- no, I think they're a top ten team, but I do not think they're a top five team. And I, I just, I think that it, let's say, let's say they go, let's say they, they, they just lose one of those FBS games, and they're six and one going into the game with the Grizzlies, and it's on ESPN. I mean, if if you can handle that pressure, then you are the real freaking deal, man. If you are a second year head coach and you got a sophomore quarterback in Giovanni McCoy, who, I mean. We love them. They were doing a great job last year really trying to make him go out there and, and sort of get used to the attention. He came on our show a couple times. He's a shy kid. He's going to get more comfortable with it. He's going to get older, more mature. But it's just there's just such a chance for a letdown or you know to stub your toe. I don't think it's, it would happen 
with the game with the most hype. It's when it's Idaho's going to absolutely be competitive in the games we're talking about as coin flip games. It's it's not screwing around or losing in Greeley or screwing around and losing in Cheney that's going to be the thing right. that defines right. our season. Yeah, it's just that their schedule is so tough. Yeah, you're right. I'm I'm there with you. You know, I mean. I could totally see them like sweeping the Montana schools, but then losing to Cal Poly or something like that. You know, like I don't know. I'm not trying to say that that's what's going to happen. I, I just, I, I guess, I, I, after looking at this and talking with you, I'm actually, I think I'm a little bit uh, too low on Idaho. I think I'm going to give them one more league win in this exercise. I think they're six six win Big Sky Conference. Six and team. two, but still not in the same tier with Montana State. I think that's I think that's perfectly defensible. And the thing is, if you go six and two with their schedule, but then you also win one of those FBS games, now you're a nine win team. Now yep. you're definitely in the mix for some seeding as well. There you go. Excerpt of the Big Sky Breakdown podcast. Check it out. Uh, probably get it uploaded about midday tomorrow. SkylineSportsMT.com. So look forward to that. And appreciate Andrew Houghton for chipping in. Also appreciate Town Pump. Town Pump, proud to sponsor the Brawl of the Wild by the Mile. We'll be giving you first look previews of the opponents for the Cats and the Grizz. We'll also be giving you an opportunity to win gift cards from Town Pump all season long. Town Pump keeping us fueled up all Big Sky Conference football season. You got a couple more football uh, questions for Rajim. That's next. Keep it right here. New Honest Now, ESPN Radio. Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. And Dwight, your father founded Schulte Law Firm in 1987 and since then has mediated more than 3,000 family law and divorce cases. Why is he so good at that sort of law? Well, he is a smart and patient man. A lot of situations where you find yourself in need of attorney are a high conflict situation. And it's really important. And it's a a tenet of our firm that we work through litigious issues in a collaborative way. It's important at Schulte Law Firm that when we're litigating these very serious issues that impact people's lives, that we do so in a way that provides the best representation and the best result to our clients. And what we have found is that the best way to do that is to litigate these issues effectively while doing so with a high degree of professionalism. We can have these disagreements without making it personal. Visit jshultylaw.com. It's new on is now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Hadn't heard this in a minute. Little Kid Frost for you. La Raza. Hip-hop history lessons with our Gene Seabrook here on Nuanas. Now it's Wednesday, but it's a Friday for us. We'll be off until Monday, so thanks for kicking it with us. Thanks for enduring uh, us being off the air sometimes, and uh, very much look forward to hitting the ground running with the Big Sky kickoff coming up in uh, Spokane, Washington this next Monday. Uh, tell us about Kid Frost. Well, Kid Frost, you know, very... Different style of flow, but, you know, in the early infancies of hip-hop. What I loved about Kid Frost, unlike some of his other Hispanic and Latina contemporaries, was he was one of the first that made hip-hop bilingual. 
rarely do we get a uh, a music genre that is bilingual. Like you either sing or rhyme or do whatever it is in English or Spanish. Um, Hip hop gave us this beautiful blending of two different languages being sung simultaneously in. So when I was younger and I heard him, it kind of like you know pulled my ear. My uh, my grandmother on my mother's side of the family, she's Dominican, so. Growing up hearing Spanish in, in the community in the neighborhood was very cool, but then to hear it in, in, in pop music uh, growing up was even cooler, uh, which then gave uh, a, a, a lot of hope and pathways for other young uh, Hispanic and Latino performers to, to engage in the world of hip-hop. So um, I thank Kid Frost and others of his time for bringing the bilingual aspects to hip hop, and I think that's I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. Not many people do, yeah. which is why like hip hop is such a beautiful, consistent, creative, abstract, evolving um, style of music because you're you're able to do that. And you know, like I've said before, what I love about hip hop more than any other genre of music is it continually gives credit through sampling to other genres of music that you may not know about. No one else does that. No other genre of music does that like hip-hop. It gives respect and credence to its contemporaries and those who have come before as well, regardless of the genre. Professor Rajim here on Nuan is now. It's a 50th anniversary of hip-hop coming up next month, so we are celebrating all summer long, taking you around the country, different thoughts and tidbits and uh, analysis of... Uh, the first 50 years of hip-hop. Appreciate Raj for sharing all his knowledge when it comes to this stuff. If you anything in the show today, you can always find it on the podcast presented by Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, and the Montana State Bookstore. The uh, couple of big pieces of news in the NFL over the last week or so. Uh, first of all, Saquon Barkley is one of my favorite players in the NFL and uh, certainly, certainly one of the best players in the NFL. The running back of the New York Football Giants, uh, but he's been in the news for controversial reasons lately because uh, the Giants uh, were potentially exploring franchise tagging him. Then they were exploring giving him, uh, making him one of the, one of, if not the highest paid running backs in the NFL outside of Christian McCaffrey. And uh, now they're kind of splitting ways, at least for the moment. So, what do you think of this as a big blue fan? Uh, as I wear my big blue today in studio, um, I'm sad because Saquon was such a, um, he's the heart and soul of that team. He's also a local boy too. Like a lot of people forget that not only does he play for the Giants, but he's, he's from that part of the country. So his ties, not only to the team and the community and the region are so huge, um, I also look at what he did for that team on the field when healthy. Like, you can't ignore his production when healthy. But I think that is the, the, the sentence that we need to pay the most attention to. When healthy, he's great. When not healthy, you're just not av available. And the best ability is what? Availability. So, for me, I think Saquon made a mistake. He, he This kind of reminds me of the whole Le'Veon Bell situation. Like, no one is going to pay you Ed McCaffrey, or not Ed McCaffrey, sorry, Ed, former Giant, talking about your son, Christian McCaffrey money. You're not putting up those types of numbers. You don't impact or transcend the game Christian has uh, in the same way. So I think him snubbing $13 million a year um, was, was a mistake, uh, especially given his history of not being able to compile 
healthy season after healthy season. So um, I'm sad that he didn't uh, agree to. I was okay with him rejecting the franchise tag. I'm not okay with him um, saying no to $13 million, especially considering how expendable, sadly, how ex- uh, expendable the position has become. Yeah, I just don't know how he's. I don't know if it's realistic for him to think he's going to get anything more on the open market. Or if he does, and even if he, who's going to give that to him? Like when I look at other teams who are in needs of running backs. Like, did he do his homework? Like, who's gonna who who can afford to pay you? Like, the NFL's leading rusher last year isn't getting the money and is a couple of years younger than you. And Josh Jacobs, like, there's there's just some you gotta you gotta read the the writing on the wall, homeboy. Like, take your thirteen mil, play one more good year, and then try, and then get that contract the following year, or realize your position. You're 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 a hired assassin at this point. Like, and your days are numbered. You're on the backside of your career. And and uh, your injuries have mounted. So I hate to see Saquon go because I think he's such a good locker room guy and a community guy for the team as well. But yeah. you just you 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 and your position just aren't worth that right now. How good do you have to be to be sort of above the analytics that are impacting all this? I mean, all these NFL teams are basically saying, okay, we can have a Saquon Barkley who's maybe a fourteen to sixteen hundred yard rusher yeah. if he stays fully healthy, yeah. or we can have three guys. For one twelfth of the cost, and get the same production. How good do you have to be to be good enough to be above this sort of analytical analysis? I think that every. I mean, Derrick Henry's like the only one. Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey are like the only two guys. And I don't even know if Derrick Henry's going to get paid when it's uh, time when the time comes. No, especially no, no. I he he's an enigma. Um, Derrick Henry, we, I would. We love don't to- we don't want to believe that he could ever get worn down or hurt. Oh, but then boy. everybody can get worn down or hurt. He's not immortal. I mean, he's not. He's, he's still he's just a, a man. He's a man. I mean, yeah. he, he is one of the biggest, strongest men to ever carry the football in the National Football League, but he's still just a man. So, And, uh, and, and at that position, that's a lot of target to hit. That's exactly uh, right, uh, too. And, and, and the older you get, the more upright running backs become, and then that's when the punishment really starts to take its toll. So um, I like what you said. You know, he's not in the Derrick Henry class. Uh as far as production, but his impact in the game when healthy is great. Uh, I mean, a text in from uh, a listener. This is great feedback. Kansas City won the Super Bowl last year with uh, undrafted free agent running back and a seventh-round rookie running back, right? I mean, the Chiefs are sort of the model. If you have a $50 million quarterback... And an all-world tight end. If you got young, sort of spirited running backs, you can replace the production pretty darn good. Yeah, so I say, you know, at this point, you you just you, you take the loss and you try to build within and around. And if Saquon comes back in the middle of, of training camp, so be it. Uh, thanks, listener, for listening in and giving that great feedback, opinion, and thought. Appreciate uh, it. also say, and that's what makes McCaffrey different, too, is because he is a running back, but also a, he's a, they split him out wide lot too. Totally. Right? I mean, they do that with Saquon and they wildcat no, Saquon sure. as well. So, I mean, and that's the irony of this, right? Is Saquon Barkley is the biggest uh, he is he represents the biggest percentage of offensive production of per his team's offense of maybe any player in the league and that's why the Giants don't want to pay him. Mm-hmm. Cuz they already know that he's had so much tread on the tires because he's been that since he got there. That a lot of tread on the tires coupled with you know some some injuries that took him out of season. So, right. you know, you, you you look at it and you you just gotta you gotta weigh it out and, and and take the lesser of two evils. And at this point, it's not signing him for any more than thirteen million per that was offered. 
It's going to be... You say no to $13 million, <laughs> right? Lionel Messi said no to $600 million, dude. Imagine Look. being in that meeting. Imagine, dude. imagine saying, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Look, uh, New York Giants, I'll take a tenth of that, and I'll get you two yards every time. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be, hey, if, if it's third and two... I'll get you three yards. I would love to see it. If it's first and ten, I'm still going to only get you three yards. I, I would love to see it. Another, uh, last point here, and this is yeah. also another great point, is that uh, you can go the cheap running back route yes. when you got Patrick Mahomes. Absolutely. You need to sign Saquon Barkley when you got Daniel Danny Jones. D- yeah, yeah. when you got Danny you know half-times back there, yeah, you got <laughs> Danny two nickels. The Vikings aren't that stupid for cutting uh, Dallin Cook because no. you can get a rookie or you can get a young guy in there because you already have what your offense is going to revolve around. That's Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, exactly. Right. And um, right now the, 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 the offense in New York is reviving around Darren Waller. Right. So, you know, it is what it is. We'll see. So much drama to unfold. Well, uh, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. It's Friday for us around here, even though it's only Wednesday. I'm out the next couple days. Much anticipated. The uh, member guest tournament at the Missoula Country Club. Can't wait for it. And uh, we'll be back at it in full force on Monday. Andrew will be corresponding for us live from Spokane at the Big Sky kickoff. We'll also have sound bites for you. From the head coaches for both Montana and Montana State. We'll have some players for each of the schools as well. Uh, trying to talk Alex Eshelman into making her uh, long-awaited reappearance here on Nuanas Now. But tons of content coming your way. I'm excited for my weekend. I hope you have a wonderful weekend yourselves. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And uh, thanks so much, as always, for being loyal listeners. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. We'll see you on Monday. Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that yeah. might, it must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Yeah, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now <laughs> for the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time.